I was very much leading a double life. So on the weekdays, I was sort of with my soldiers doing lots of very good army stuff. But then on the my time off in the weekends and in the evenings in the mess, I'd be working on Honeypot at the time. All the PR and marketing stunts you see I've often come from a few, me and George having a couple of pints. We call them pointless <laughs> pints. Uh, and, on the culture, uh, I think. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll just sit there and just like, is it too ridiculous to do this? It's amazing how classic the sweets the playground story is because yes, that's exactly what I was doing. I then got beaten up and all my profits and stock stolen by a kid in the year above. So is that why you joined the army then? Because you could play with weaponry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to have a load of soldiers to protect me. <laughs> Trials, tribulations, mistakes, barriers, successes, and failures. Hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion-dollar businesses to those that are just starting out. Winner of the Campaign Publishing Award for Best Business Podcast in the UK, Successes in the Mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. Everyone claims to be an entrepreneur, but can everyone live up to the title? What does it take to start a business, to get your product into a high street store, or grow a well-managed team? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. So today is Thursday, and yes, we normally release episodes on Wednesday at 8am. However, this is the exception. Are you single? Do you know someone who is single, fed up of the constant daily admin and low talent quality from the likes of Tinder, Bumble and Hinge? Well, fear not, because on this episode, by popular demand, we have the innovative and genuinely disruptive dating app, Thursday. The dating app that only works one day a week, and yes, you've guessed it, it's on a Thursday. Co-founded by ex-army officer Matthew McNeil Love and entrepreneur George Rowlings, the company formerly known as Honeypot was initially founded in 2018 following a successful crowdfunded concept. Shortly after the fund, however, Matt was posted to Afghanistan on an army tour. It was in April 2020 that the company closed an additional top-up round having rebranded as Thursday, a dating app exclusively at the time for Londoners. With co-founder George publicly stating on LinkedIn that the business was to have a valuation in the first 12 months post-funding of some £50 million, most Londoners and parts of the US rallied behind the co-founders thanks to their disruptive and viral campaigns. I asked Matt, how do you found a business whilst holding down a full-time military career? What does a successful startup need to do to raise funding? And who came up with the infamous cardboard viral guerrilla marketing campaigns? Ladies and gentlemen, single or otherwise, Matthew McNeil Love. Thank you very much for having me. Well, your surname is literally love. So, I mean, we can't have a podcast yeah, about making love without <laughs> allusion to the fact that... Yeah, the amount of people that think I changed my name for this is like, guys, I'm not that sad. <laughs> I th- well, it could be worse. It could be McLovin, couldn't it? Something like that. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you went to Dean Close School, which is actually local to where our studio is. You then studied a Bachelor of Arts in Marketing. You went to Oxford Brooks. You then joined the army. How did you get into the world of dating? So, very good question. While I was at university, I was building a website with a chap called Stephen Bartlett. We were building a thing called Wallpark, which we thought was going to change the, the way students get jobs, the way they hire books, the way they rent houses. And at the time, I think I was probably quite naive. I probably didn't believe in the vision enough. Right. I had a place at Sandhurst after going through Mainboard and 
joined the army, went to Sandhurst in 2014. He obviously became incredibly successful and now is a dragon on Dragon's Den, which is remarkable. <laughs> I will take no credit for his success. I have was my, a, a mere drop in the ocean, but it's a funny, it's a fairly funny coincidence. So would you have done quite well out of that then, Matt, if you'd stuck with it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a very different, it was a very, very different thing. Uh, what, what ended up being social chain was nothing right. to do with me. Um, <laughs> As, as much as as much as I would love to take credit for it, <laughs> you can take um, a small amount. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then while at, at, at Sandhurst, I went on holiday with another Dean Close chap called George Rawlings. Right. George and I were sat in a bar one evening talking about the woes of being single in modern day. Um, and a, a fairly sort of you know, quote unquote conversation happened, which was even if you approach a girl in a bar and she might find you attractive. Mm-hmm. and you find her attractive and you approach her the chances of her sticking it out and having a chat with you was pretty slim and I don't know if that says more about me and George or, <laughs> but, and I think it's because society has become so reliant on hiding behind a screen and you know swiping left and right and judging people and being judged that to actually approach people in normal, the normal world is, is very slim and very sort of not that heard of so we, we, we created an idea called Honeypot uh, which we crowdfunded uh, on Crowdcube, which was great. I was bizarrely in uh, on a tour in Afghanistan at the time. Well, I was going to say, how did you manage to start a business and maintain a job in the <laughs> military at the same time? How did you do that? It, it wasn't without its challenges. Um, <laughs> I think it, it was. I was very much leading a double life. So on on the <laughs> weekdays, I was sort of with my soldiers and um, doing lots of very good army stuff and going away, which was brilliant. But then on the my time off in the weekends and in the evenings in the mess. I'd be working on Honeypot at the time. It's a lot of other things people normally work on in a mess. Not necessarily <laughs> trying to found a date again. Yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, once we got the idea of Honeypot out there, we thought, right, this is it. You know, we've got something here. Uh, Honeypot itself wasn't correct, but we used that to rebrand and, and pivot to Thursday. Because, uh, you know, how did you actually come up with the name for Honeypot then? Was that entirely driven by by you, you and George? You know, because when you were serving, George was still very much involved in, I suppose, driving driving what is now known as Thursday. Yeah. How integral was George to the founding of it? Oh, it's huge. We have an interesting, I think the reason why we're seeing a bit of success at the moment is because our team has got a very clearly defined roles within the company right. um all the pr and marketing stunts you see i've often come from a few me and george having a couple of pints we call them pointless <laughs> pints uh and on the culture uh, i think yeah exactly and we'll, we'll just sit there and just is it too ridiculous to do this is it too ridiculous to do that and then we'll eventually whittle it down to to something so what's been the most ridiculous that's fallen through we released a email to our entire mailing list to about 5,000 people at the time, I think we had, single people in London, an email that was meant to come from our chairman, but went mistakenly out to our entire mailing list about a sex scandal in the office and that you might notice one of the co-founders isn't here today. <laughs> it was risky. I mean, it, we, we sent it out and we thought, oh my God. And it had the effect we thought it was going to have, which is... Yeah, didn't it make the press? I swear I saw that in The Independent. Yeah, it, it did. Like... No, it was, uh, there was an, uh, yeah, an article in the... Um, the Economist. That was it. There's a journalist there who was very much like a, a dog with a bone, and she would not let it go. Uh, <laughs> and she's not a fan, to, to, to put it mildly. And um, <laughs> but what, what it, while it was risky and it was sort of a bit naughty, I suppose yeah. it did have the effect we thought it would have, which is 
by the end of the day, we had about 25,000 people on the mailing list. Wow, okay. So it kind of had the fact, would we do that, go that risque again? Probably not. But you do what you've got to do to start. <laughs> it, you do. And actually, looking back at it, we'll get into the, the gorilla aspect, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be fascinated by because you are properly aggressive online. But as, as a kid growing up, um, before you before you kind of graduated, went to Oxford Brooks, but maybe whilst you were still uh, at Dean Close, did you have any kind of entrepreneurial flair back then? Were you selling sweets in the you know school playground or were you very much corporate through and through? It's amazing how classic the sweets the playground story is because yes, that's exactly what I was is doing. Is that what you <laughs> before I, before I went to Dean Close? I went to school in Somerset. I think it's now closed down. And uh, <laughs> says a lot about school. It's a great school. And. Um, and we we used to get seven pounds a week pocket money, and on the weekend I'd go to Tesco and buy all the economy I could chocolate and sweets yes. for seven pounds. Okay. And then on Monday or Tuesday, everyone would have eaten through all of their sweets and chocolate, and I won't have been. I wouldn't have done. Yeah. And then I would sell it for more, and it was it was a great way of making a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I then got beaten up, and oh. all my profits and stock stolen by a kid in the year above so it was a right. short short-lived business, short -lived but... business. Is, that, is that why you joined the army then because you could play with weaponry yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i wanted to have a load of soldiers to protect me <laughs> you know when it was honeypot when you were developing this mvp how did you actually go about developing the concept was it developed by george was it by you no who did the coding who did the creation one of our co-founders although he doesn't like the limelight is uh, uh, our CTO. He very much built the entire thing and then how now has a, a fairly good team around him. In terms of the idea, that just became from a conversation saying, look, we've, we've got Honeypot, but it's not really working. The branding's crap, mm -hmm. awful, um, <laughs> and it, it didn't mean anything. We struggled to describe what Honeypot was in a right. sentence. So if we can't describe it in a sentence, then you know, how the hell are you going to market it? So we realized that there was a massive spike in usage on a Thursday on our own data. And then if you dive into the other listed uh, apps, which they are all under, majority of them are under the big major groups mm -hmm. um, and they're publicly listed companies, you can find fairly quickly that in the Western world, in big sort of cosmopolitan cities, there is a real spike in activity on a Thursday. Right. I wonder why that is. And so that informed our decision to pivot. And that's why we also had to get over the chicken and egg problem where if people are your currency, Yep. And they're allowed to have preferences, which mean they minimize the pool to their sort of preference pool. Yep. And then they're allowed to cull them 24-7. You need a lot of people. You need a lot of people. Uh, you need like thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands to really to maintain it. And by concentrating it to one day of the week, by um, forcing people to make a decision because everything ends at midnight... Yeah, we got over the chicken and egg problem. So having having that many users on on the platform, a lot of people to manage. What's the weirdest request or weirdest issue that you guys have had on the platform? So we we have we take reporting and blocking very seriously, right. um, and we also verify everybody for safety, which is why I think our user base is the percentage of women is, is higher than our competitors, yeah. because we try and make as safe an environment as possible. But you do get fairly often photos reported on profiles. <laughs> And our poor developers have to trawl through Go on. basically a, a load of dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so they spend a lot of time being like, I hate my job. <laughs> <laughs> through all the, the report and then of course we blocked Do you me. have an internal ranking process whereby you can rank the like, cock? God, he's yeah. big. <laughs> <laughs> so now you'd have a 10 for him. <laughs> yeah. He's, that's, that's extraordinary. That can't be real. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen that one before. Uh, anyway, hey, that's mine. Hold on. No, that's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. When you're obviously launching it and when you're running it on a Thursday, I imagine the uplift's greater on a Thursday. Does that give you time to have, I suppose, downtime from a dev point of view or why you can turn elements off because it isn't in use? Well, good question. And, you know, in, in my sort of simple, non-technical brain, <laughs> I would think, well, God, it's only working one day of the week. So, of course, it's absolutely fine. You know, six yeah. days a week, we're not paying for AWS. We're not paying for this. We're not paying for the downside. Unfortunately, the reality is, because we're slightly a victim of our own success where we now have, well, we just approached a quarter of a million downloads. And the the drama is, is all that mass concentrates on one day. Okay. So on okay. that day, you need to have extreme servers yes. <laughs> to cater yes. for it because everybody's hitting it at that time. Whereas Tinder, Bubble and Hinge, granted, we won't be you know, nowhere near the numbers we have on them, but it's not surprising that every week in london we slip into the top 10 in the global app store charts and social right. media with whatsapp and facebook and facebook messenger being one two and three we're always top 10 because of the mass that we have driving it on one specific day and no one else is doing that it's all spread more evenly people are fed up of getting a hinge match through or a tinder match or bumble and they do work these dating apps are they absolutely work if you invest enough time and are prepared to send out as many likes and receive as many likes that lead to nothing yeah it's a critical mass game which i constantly tell my business partner but he doesn't he doesn't do that he's more picky than i am uh, or at least was i should add girlfriend's probably listening to this one it is a numbers game it absolutely is a numbers game it is very much so i don't know if you had a crm system when you were on a dating app whereby you put them through a funnel and it was like hot lead cold lead <laughs> conversion i don't know how you guys did that <laughs> we did we did but one of our a couple of our developers who shall not be named definitely yeah. did <laughs> <laughs> i think i think everybody everybody's been there but in terms of your, um, you know, CTO that developed the, the, the platform, are they heavily involved still in the business? Do they still have equity? Yeah, yeah. So the, the uh, everyone is incentivized in the company now. So we have a share pool or an options pool. Mm -hmm. George and I incentivize everybody when we raised all the key players with, with, with shares. And yeah, very much so. I mean, the, the thing with tech is once you built it, it doesn't mean it's finished. It, it just means you just open up a load more problems. And, you know, scaling to another country sounds simple, but my God, it's not. And I, so the team now in the office is about 12 full time, but on the dev side, eight. So they make up the majority. Uh, do, you, I mean, do you think you could have, you know, built this and come up with the concept if indeed you hadn't had that contact that was essentially the tech and the nous and the knowledge behind building that platform? Because, you know, to, to actually build a platform is expensive unless you know how you're doing it. Totally agree. I think if anyone came to me and said they were going to try and build an app that connects people, yeah. Uh, so you've got a double opt-in uh, for anything less than 200 grand, I'd be like, don't waste your money. Like, don't waste your investors' money. It's a very expensive game. It is, but you guys raised 117,000, so literally half of what you've just stated there. You, that was your initial fund. Anyway. We were lucky. That was, the, that was, so that was very much pre-seed. We were really lucky. I was having working on free in my spare time. George was taking a minor, minor salary. So he, he sold his house. David was, and some of the other dev guys were the only people taking less than they should uh, for their market rate. So we, we were lucky with having a team that really believed in what we we're doing. And that allowed the money to go further. Since raising that 117 grand, we then topped ourselves up to about half a million through instant investment on seed legals, which enabled us to keep raising as and when we needed it um, until we did our seed round about four months ago. And that was for two and a half million quid, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, went after, we went after 1.25 million pounds 
and, and, and double it. Fine, okay. And, and how do you know where to put that money then, I suppose? Let's go back to the 117,000 quid, right? You've been given that, you got, you're in the army, George has sold his house, you've got some techies working on it. How do you know what that split is? How do you know to put 50 grand in here and 25 in there? So again, looking back now, I think we were incredibly naive. And I think right. most people who start out initially are um yeah because you don't you don't know what you don't know the one bit of advice i'd give to anybody who's going to try to start an app without being technical themselves which is a challenge in itself <laughs> make sure you find someone who genuinely is a good person and because it's all too easy to have the wall pulled over your eyes because it is so expensive and these guys are so sought after it's very hard to get people full time they'd rather freelance because they make a fortune <laughs> you know you need to you it's a real fine line between chucking money at a problem and actually having someone who knows how to deploy it. And you know, David, our CTO, is ruthless about who he hires, who he doesn't, um, what we need, where we spend it. And it's you know, you also have to trust your team members. Um, and we, you know, he's got our full trust implicitly. Yeah, and in terms of trust and delegation, I mean, being a, an army officer, you have to delegate, I suppose, to the to the ranks below you. Arguably, answer to those above you do you think that structure serving in the army has given you an ability to go this is where i want it to go you guys go and run it because you've been brought up that way i think definitely there's strengths that have come across i got asked this the other day actually and i think you know if there was one thing you could you could bring across what would it be and i think it's probably resilience because nothing ever goes to plan you know mike tyson famous saying you know everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face <laughs> you know it is so true like nothing nothing ever will go the way you think it's going to go or where your pitch deck says it should go or your business model says it should go. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yes, it's helped massively. I think I'm probably quite good at, George is very good at the visionary bit. Yes. I think I'm quite good at the making sure we get there. So here's the big vision. Great. How do we then get there? And like tracking back and implementing that. And I think we've got quite a good split in the team of across the whole lot between the visionary people who have the big vision stuff and then... Sure let's try and implement it and get it there. And how do we then break it down and get there? And that, that makes sense. I mean, looking at George's history, I suppose, he's, I suppose, more entrepreneurial with the greatest respect, Matt, than I suppose you are. I mean, prior to Thursday, he has he was in a previous business, was he not? Which was exactly. all about video content. You were in the army. Do you think having that ability to merge operational efficiency, which is yourself, with entrepreneurialism is kind of the perfect merge? I think two things, actually, on this point. There's a real danger in Sati that everyone tries to pigeonhole people um and you know we use the title coo and ceo and cto and c you don't have cmo but actually if i'm totally honest we hate it mm -hmm. because it's it's very over official for the sake of it and actually when you're a small <laughs> team it's everyone just picks up the phone and does everything yeah. so it's like i need you to go and do this i need you to run the facebook campaign or i need myself to go and do this podcast or i need what well, it, it's all very blurry but i think everybody has to add value and just know what I love, I think, about the team we've got at the moment, and we're very protective of who we hire going forward, is I could walk in, George could walk in, David could walk in. We don't even have to say a thing to anybody, and everybody just knows what they're doing and is working towards whatever it is would be expected of them, be it the social media post for the day, be it teeing up the venues, be it running the data, because Johnny, our data scientist, will know knows that I want to know how many downloads we had in the LBGTQ plus community in New York sure, tomorrow. Sure. Type of thing. It's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, no, and, and it's interesting to see how, I suppose it's entrepreneurial really, isn't it? In terms of everybody sort of running their own departments and, and doing uh, doing their own own thing. But looking at the social posts, you guys kind of did that on a budget of 500 quid. And now it is what you're kind of famous for, really. I mean, I, I'm not single, but I've come across the app and I know everything about the app simply through 
the aggression online. It's like, who came up with those ideas in the early days then? So again, it, it was all out of necessity. When we raised that money, we spent it all on devs and we didn't have the money to then market it. So we had to, so we had to be like, okay, we've got this product, we've got a platform, it's not perfect. How the hell do we tell people about it? And again, it generally came from these pointless pint chats being like, why don't we put a board on this? Or why don't we take a blackboard and make up some cheating scandal? And I think we just, we just learned very aggressive. We learned the hard way, but in a really useful manner of what captures imagination. So are you saying that George never cheated on his girlfriend? I thought that blackboard was truth. No, no, he's, George is a good, George is a very good moral guy. <laughs> For the record. Yeah, yeah I'd, like to, I'd like to have that in writing. Yeah, but it is genius. I mean, your interns that join, they, I bet you get people applying to join Thursday just because oh, it looks like a, a fun mad. place to work, right? But I think for us, we, we realised again with Honeypot, it was all about us being the face of it and trying to take the credit for it and fame, which you see on LinkedIn all the time. And everyone just trying to be the face of their company, which is which is great, but it's short term. You know, if you, if you want to be an influencer, be an influencer. If you want to have a company, let the company do the talking for you. And that's where a real pivot happened for us. And it was let Thursday have its own brand. So if we can make Jess, for example, who got voted top uh, 50 you know, creative in, uh, influencer in, in the UK or something by some award, Flipping brilliant, great. If we can make Johnny go viral on LinkedIn, our data science because he looks like um, Harry Styles, excellent. If we can make <laughs> David or one of the developers go viral because of some tweet. That, for us, it's like, it's all about the team. Like yeah. make them really big, famous, but as big as we can in yeah. their roles because they are then the ambassadors and face of Thursday. And the more people who are the face of Thursday, the better. In terms of hiring individuals, what do you look for when hiring somebody? And, and kind of what are the mistakes you said you've had to fire people in the last three years? What were those mistakes and why did, you, why did it go so badly wrong? Really good question. Um, so when we look to hire people, if it's technical, they'll go through David first and they'll, they will have to do a code test that he'll do, an initial conversation, then a code test. Then they'll get passed on to George and I for right. sort of the culture fit. And what, what does that mean? Taking them out for a beer and standing them on a plinth? It depends, no, to be, initially, actually, it's, it's coming to the office and have a chat and be like, guys, this is a startup. Yeah. And this is, you know, you will be asked to do things that aren't in your job description. You will be asked to work late nights on some of them. But it's a lot of fun. We look after stuff quite well. I think they'd say, take, you know, go out for dinner and drinks and all that sort of stuff. And give them lots of time off. But you are expected to work bloody hard and you know you will be entered into these share options which best over time but you will have to earn them um and i think everyone what's great about the environment we've got here is it's very ambitious and as you said entrepreneurial it kind of is everyone here is sort of entrepreneurial because they've got the opportunity so when we hire we make that really clear mistakes that we've made before is there's a lot of real experts yeah. out there um and you will get pushed quite hard we get pushed quite hard by our, some of our backers and in, in, in the form of vcs to hire these people who are ex-delivery and ex-Uber Eats and, ex and that's great. Why are you yeah. ex? And that's fine, but you know, I don't need to hire, we don't need to hire a CMO right now because everyone comments on how well our marketing's doing and our numbers are speaking for themselves. So I'm not gonna get pushed into hiring a CMO because what are they gonna tell us that we, we're not yeah. already doing? Yeah, 100%. There's a, you sacrifice when you're hiring speed for quality. And it's a debate we have all the time. We need to grow. We've got the money to do it. We need to keep growing our team and with the right people. But you don't want to accept lesser quality in order to get people in quicker because it just doesn't work. And we've, we've had to fire a couple of people. 
And A, firing people is miserable, mm-hmm. as anyone who's ever had to do it. It's not yeah, fun. No. Um, and two, it's really negative energy for everyone involved. Yeah, it's also concerning. It sends shockwaves through the business, right, when you fire someone, yes. even if it's for the absolute right reason. There's an underlying question comment all the time about you know well, well, is this company okay you know is it going to be sustainable can we can we yeah. carry on with our careers but in terms of managing individuals and, and and sort of you know communicating to the wider team albeit you know 12 people at the moment i'm sure it's going to double triple quadruple over the next couple of months and years you know what mistakes have you made and how do you manage a team very good question again i think they'll all be very good um <laughs> i think the the problem is i very old school. I think I like to try and lead by example. So if, if we've got a PR stunt going on at six in the morning, for example, I will make sure that I'm in at half five. Right. Um, if it's a very basic leadership, like sort of lead by example in that sense. But I think also we won't ask anybody to do anything that we haven't already done or wouldn't do ourselves. So all the PR stunts and stuff with Anya or Jess or Johnny or, or Harry, you know, we've done it ourselves and the reason why we're not doing it is because yes i could go out there and put a board on and so could george we've already done it we've already got the tick yes it, with these people it's like jess if you do it you will get all the credit you will get all the you know people wanting to do podcasts with you and, yeah. and it'll, it'll be another it'll be like another perk for you so i think in managing a team let people take credit for their work and even if it is you as a company's idea or George and I are not bitter about just becoming, you know, getting asked to do a, a TV interview. We're getting filmed tomorrow and we're, we're away in New York actually, but there's a TV crew coming here to film the whole thing and then do something on Thursday with them. Great. Let them be the face of it. Like, don't be jealous, like be proud that your team is doing that and not, why am I not on the face of it? Do you see what I mean? hundred percent. And I suppose looking at, you alluded to the fact that you're in New York um, tomorrow and everything you do seems to be kind of quite spontaneous, whether it's meant to look like that and is actually planned meticulously behind the scenes. I don't know. But the other week, I think it might have even been last week, you said that you had 100,000 downloads in the last 14 days. You're going to jump on an aircraft and go and explore some VCs out in out in New York. You know, surely there's a plan around, you know, month six, 100,000 downloads, go to New York rather than, Oh, Christ, boys, we've actually done something here. We should maybe book a ticket. What we like to portray is chaos and sporadic and a bit bonkers <laughs> because it's endearing. And it's, it's relatively true, but it's, it's people are interested in the journey. Yeah. There's a lot of thought that goes into these posts and LinkedIn stuff about, yeah, I've got 100,000 owners in 10 days. True, we have. Our, we're, we're now at the point where we're seeing exponential growth. So we're sort of, we've got from steady growth to rocketing up, which is great. Okay. But in that message was a few key messages to all the VCs that everyone who sees us and follows us, which is we're going for series A, i.e. get in touch with us because if you don't, we won't. Um, we're going to New York. We're going after American money. Yeah. We're going to be expanding to it. So there's a lot more that goes into it. But I think to sort of just a quick glance at it, people think, oh, these guys are bonkers. They just do what they want. Like, yeah. And that's the image we like to portray. But actually when it comes down to it, it's more thought out. <laughs> so, Matt, in 2020, April 2020, your business partner, George, said quite publicly uh, on LinkedIn that you guys needed to have a valuation come the end of 12 months of 50 million quid. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be possible? I think you'll see a headline in a, a newspaper probably in January, I imagine, okay. that says um, we 
that we uh, we achieved that. Okay, good. Ex- you know, and and, and I'm sorry to be coy. I can't say. I can't. I can't. I can't say. I can't say what it is, unfortunately. But because it's half of it's being sorted out as we speak. Um, but yeah, we will. We will achieve that. Okay, that's good. And in terms of what that means for you as a business, you know, twelve star, fifty million plus valuation. Are you going to float? No, I think we've, we've got a lot to prove still. I think the, the great thing okay. about the tech game is everyone knows it costs money to grow. And as long as you can prove you can do it efficiently and you generally have something that's not a fad, but is people are sticking to it. There's a lot of money out there, and it's, it's, but it's also well known that it costs money. So it's a mm-hmm. fairly well-trodden path of raise, deliver what you say you're going to raise or over-exceed, raise again, dilute a little bit more and you just keep going um mm-hmm. i think if, from our point of view we definitely will do a series a um mm-hmm. whether or not we'll see how far we take it um it's a very competitive space and you can be really really big in it and still it's a tough it's a tough space and you are competing against mm-hmm. big billion dollar way you know eight twelve thirteen fourteen forty billion dollar companies um yeah yeah so you have to know when you're you, you, I think you have to know when the time is right to, to say thank you. I'll let the experts take over now. Hundred <laughs> percent. And looking at the series A, then how much are you actually wanting to, to raise for that? So we're raising twenty million dollars. So you're raising twenty million. Okay, fine. And what have you got? A multiple of ten, eight. Uh, so <laughs> you're very good, but I can't. I can't say. <laughs> raising twenty million, it'll easily get to a valuation of fifty million quid. Not worried about that at all. But I'll put it this way. Put it this way. We're not going to be diluting 50%. No, I can imagine. I can imagine you're not going to do that. Just in terms of actually looking then at, at salaries and money and, and how you actually yeah. do, I suppose yourself, Matt, make make cash to pay your mortgage or, or rent. You know, Do you take a salary that is sustainable? Do you reinvest? What does that look like from a monetary point of view? So we, some really good advice we got given um, when we did the seed round. We thought, pay ourselves peanuts, um, live in London, really go for the whole hardship look at us eating noodles and sleeping in the office because that's all we can afford to <laughs> of. and actually the one of the vcs who backed us were like guys you're not being realistic you're effectively window dressing mm-hmm. um your numbers and your forecast because you're saying you're not paying yourselves that's not sustainable so now we pay ourselves what is worthy of the company that we are on and we take advice from um some investors who are similar who have been in a similar position but in this game, you create your own luck and you need to be rewarded enough for it to be worth it because it is, it's 24 seven. And until this thing, until this thing, however long this journey lasts for, it, it, it doesn't stop, you know, no, and to put no, it in context. No. And this is absolutely not woe is me or George at all, but I hadn't had a holiday since April. We haven't gone home, home since then. So I think it's what people don't see is probably the, and same that any entrepreneur, any business owner, yourself included will, will know, is it is a 24-7 gain. Um, and if you're in a position to pay yourself accordingly, then I think that's, that's important because it sustains you. 100%. And what I'm interested in is one of your investors who was the, I suppose, going back to the ex, he was the founder of Monzo. I suppose you, you could say that he used to work for Monzo. But in terms, of, in terms of what he said, and you're quoting him online, he said that there's secrets behind not mentally burning out, essentially. Now, what are those secrets? Because, you know, starting a business as big as Monzo you're going to be working a lot. There's going to be mental burnout. But you quite clearly said that he's told you these little secrets around yeah. how not to. So I think that Tom's a really successful guy and, and a very interesting guy and very generous with his 
thought on setting up companies. He also co-founded Go Cardinals, which is a hugely yeah, successful yeah, company. Easy. And um, Matt Robinson is also who's co-founder invested in us as well. Just really interesting guys, and you can learn a lot from them. I think. Um, but I think with Tom, his angle is you get pushed very hard when you take institutional money, and you need to be really careful you get the right VCs on board or the right backers on board. And I think that's more what he's referring to is always being driven quite hard with results. And one thing I think we've discussed before is he used to get a load of shit for you know, <laughs> setting up a bank, but not being a banker, yes. despite the fact he's incredibly successful, already was already a fairly successful, very successful, proven entrepreneur, went to Oxford, super bright. He would just basically get hounded for not being a banker. Yeah. I mean, the irony being, who, I mean, who's had the last laugh? But I think his <laughs> main sort of focus and where we spend more time talking is on things about not getting bullied by VCs who they don't care about you as an individual, as a founder. They will say they do, but they don't. They what they care about is their 10x oh, or yeah. 20x or whatever it is. And I think it's very easy to get wined and died and lulled into this wonderful full sense of security where. Yeah, oh, you're a superstar and this and that. So, you know, I think call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. And if everybody, if you start on that level, mm -hmm. everybody then knows. And I think that's probably more where he was leaned towards, certainly where he's helped us a bit. And you talk quite, you know, eloquently, I suppose, around all of these elements from investment through to running an app, through to marketing. You know, things that people take 10, 15 years to cut their teeth in from a career standpoint. You've done it for literally three years. You know, how did you learn this? Who mentored you? Who guided you through that process? I think what's been really useful is I was lucky enough to have a mentor um, who was ex-military, an ex-Royal uh, Marine, deep sea diver guy, brilliant, uh, who'd started a load of companies himself before, very successful in his own right. And he'd given me loads of advice. I'm going through, George Similar has got a, a, a mentor that he sort of leans on a bit. Um, but I think the main thing is a, sort of, there's a bit of a team spirit here where mm -hmm. Everyone that we're now at the stage in the company where everyone in that room is doing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of learn together. We use a legal system called Seed Legals, which I really recommend. Um, they make life very simple. They are always on the end of a phone call, which is great. I think they get annoyed with the amount of phone calls George inflicts <laughs> 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 on them. But no, it's, it's, it's very much a learning process and you do make mistakes. I think we're fortunate enough to have a bit of money where anything legally we run past lawyers who are much smarter than we are yeah, yeah. but initially it was just god i hope this works <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people say on this though that they're naive experts which it sounds like that you are as well yeah totally well no the, the naive bit definitely <laughs> <laughs> less the expert in terms of and i'm going to go back to to how you've geared up and scaled up in terms of the out-of-home marketing and that side of stuff because you say that you have your, your your pointless pints which i love but arguably coming up with with slogans for instance bumble hinge tinder there's nothing awkward about saying you met on thursday you know whether or not that was a pointless pint you still managed to get it on billboards get it around stations you've got an agency that do that no so we um ev everything we do is in-house so what is i think as a company we're quite good at relationship building um and so we've got a very good relationship with jc i think it's i think you say jc deco yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we are uh, on their nurture program um which if you're valued at i can't remember it's, it's a small amount but you've raised over x amount they will help you and match you with some of their funding it's really really good anyone listening strongly recommend hitting them up so we've got a good relationship with them and they will produce some of the stuff we put up and be like, hey guys, literally we've got a four hour slot free. Do you want it? Like, yeah. yeah, right. 
like we did pay them a little bit of money initially to get a big campaign off the ground. But no, I, I think like everything you see at the moment with Thursday, be it the website, be it the Instagram account, be it the TikTok, the LinkedIn stuff, it's all comes from within the office. And I think it's because we're all in the frame of mind of our target market that we know what kind of relates. And I don't think at this stage, going to an agency who will put 10 heads on it and whack 40% fee on top yeah. is, gonna, is going to be able to do it better than us yeah. at the moment. No, 100%, you live and you breathe it, I suppose. And, and, and to that very point, if you were to take a step back in the years to come, for instance, and bung in somebody sitting in a C-suite role, it's quite easy for them to kind of cock it up because they're not as invested as you guys are. So does that sort of play on your mind? I think when he, if we get to that position, everyone will be so well incentivized, be it through salary packages and share options, and that it won't be in their interest to cock it up um <laughs> and i think you'd like tom did with monzo you you'd probably say goodbye but you wouldn't leave it completely sure. so tom's now the president of monzo so he has sort of overarching view of what you know finger on the pulse of what's going on um and i i imagine if we were fortunate enough to get to that position we'd, we'd do a similar thing sure sure and looking at it you've got a chairman at the moment haven't you we don't actually we did, did um, we did have a chairman um we no longer have someone i think at the next round when we close this next round of funding the board will grow um and we will have to get the chairman who and what and how that looks don't know yet but it will probably i'd like to think someone who has scaled an app uh, a b2c app mm -hmm. in their time um globally mm -hmm. because they would then be able to add value and see where we're going to inevitably make mistakes or give us good advice 100 percent. what happened to the chairman that you did have then Tim, uh, Tim resigned because he felt he couldn't add. Um, he felt that we probably could do better with someone who was more current. Tim did really well for himself um, back in the day um, with starting one of the first startup incubators, mm -hmm. and he was brilliant in the very early stages. He was absolutely excellent, helping us get everything set up and planned. But I think um, then going forward. Um, he was very honest and you know stuck to what he stuck to his lane knew he was very good at starting things but not necessarily at the stage at being able to advise us at the stage we're at now mm -hmm. um and so um yeah but he's still an investor and still a very good friend of the company the way that you've built up this kind of cultural following is very much by kind of having that vibe having that culture outside the office irrespective of what your team and your staff do inside the office you have festivals for instance you have you know bars that are rented out for instance so you know is that an integral part of growing the following of the business of the brand because you look at it and you also go your instagram's private which is quite niche and quite unique when you're trying to build a public facing brand yeah so i think community is everything and i've forgotten i'm not even going to try and remember who said it but someone very famous who in a book basically <laughs> said that you know start start with community and then work upwards and outwards um yeah. and i think that's what we've tried to do and i think we've been quite successful at it the reason why instagram is private is because if you get accepted for the Instagram account, which everyone does, <laughs> you it creates a, well, I don't want to leave this now because I've now got through the door and it creates a, a need to to follow. And, you know, our Instagram account, not that it matters, and this is slight vanity metrics, but, you know, is the most engaged dating app Instagram account in the world. Is that right? You know, that, yeah, so not, not in terms of followers, right. but in terms of engagement. I mean, we're, we're only about 100,000 short behind 12 billion dollar valuation company bumble you know we're humble thursday but our <laughs> engagement is 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 crazy um and it's because we've created this community of people who really buy into what i think we're trying to solve which is 
you know, singles should be fun and should be exciting, not this laborious chore. But in terms of actually looking at how you, you bring in those individuals from a cultural standpoint, you know, you push notifications out to individuals' phones, you send out messages about traveling home safely on a Thursday night or frankly, any other night. And it's really niche because you're actually not marketing aggressively uh, your brand. You're actually doing it quite subtly, but yet you're constantly at the forefront of people's minds. I'm assuming that came from a pointless point. I think we realized that our aggress- our marketing is very aggressive and we needed to, to have a really good balance of stuff that we care about as well as a company. You know, we're an app that encourages you to match chat and meet that day ultimately. And whilst granted, it's not our responsibility, what happens when people do meet, you we do have a responsibility to make sure that people are as well informed as they possibly can be. You know, stuff like walking home safely, the night tube, stuff like that that really affects our customers, we will absolutely get behind. And some people criticize us because they think they see it as opportunistic marketing. Um, but we see it very much as we've got a platform to get 150,000 signatures on a petition to get the night tube out. Why would we not do it? No, I think it's elegant. Um, I think it's very smart. Really, really smart. And how's that actually going, that petition? I think it's been I think it's been signed off, but the petition itself in true government fashion was fairly farcical in terms of I think there's like one and a half trains running now. Is, is, that, <laughs> is, is that right? Not even a, not even two. Not even I two. think so. I mean, don't, don't quote me on that, but I think it's something like that. <laughs> in terms of making money, you're clearly good at raising this stuff, but turning a profit, I imagine you guys are loss leading at the moment. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean yeah, you will be for some time. We make about fifty percent of our burn through people paying premium. Right. Um, so we are, we are monetized. We are bringing in fairly good money, but it's it's never going to be it's never going to be as much as we're spending no. to grow no. because we're just in that growth phase, um, and that is why you raise and that's why you dilute to just keep growing. We could we could turn the tap off on the growth. We could reduce our burn by reducing the team now and just become a very nice lifestyle app. But it will die to nothing. It will it will eventually just die and fizzle into nothing. Um, I think it's just widely accepted in the world that we're in, in the world that most B2C apps are in, that once you get to the point you're happy with the product, you need to spend to acquire. Yeah, I mean, look frankly at Uber. I mean, they they, they never yeah, exactly. turn a profit and they're, they're pretty damn big. Yeah. But in terms of the ratio of- Yeah, exactly, WhatsApp. But in terms of the ratio of how much you've got coming in versus what you've got going out, what does that, what does that look like from a perspective point of view? We are probably bringing fifty percent of what we're spending. Wow. Okay. So you you really are kind of running it at a, at a, at a loss. And I mean, in yeah. terms of how long that'll be for, is is kind of up in the air. I assume because you guys will probably be out there by the time it matters. Yeah. Exactly. I think the, you know, big big advice we've got is when you're when you raise money, have a plan how long you want to use it for. It's, you don't raise money to sit there and pay yourselves nice salaries for ten years. <laughs> it, you know, you've got to deliver on it, and it, you know, it, you've got to spend in order to grow, in order to acquire, in order to you know, going to new countries. And I think for us, you know, when we go and do our, when we go and close the Series A round of funding, one of the attractive things about our investment proposal is the fact that we've got quite a lot of money in the bank still. Yeah, yeah. But the reason why we're doing it now is because momentum is high. We want to get the right people on board, et cetera, et cetera. And it means we can just spend more. I think there's this danger of, and we nearly slipped into this in the very early days of you spend everything and then you raise trouble is that by doing that you become insanely vulnerable so if someone wants to come and say that i will give you your 20 million dollars or whatever it is but i want 50 percent yeah well you, you don't really have a leg to stand oh, on. you've got to give them the 50 percent, haven't you you have to <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly <laughs> so you, it's a very fine line um but i think yeah management of money is is, is really key it's it, it's 
yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. And you know, as a founder, you do co-founder, you, you absolutely take responsibility. You know, when I see the people walk into the office, you know, they you definitely have the you know if, if, if George and I make this get this wrong, they are not they're going to be out of the job. And I, we definitely have a social responsibility to the people we work for, work with us. 100%. You've got 12 Christmases to pay for this year. That's 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 the responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Luckily, we're going to wrap up. We're going to kill one bird with one stone and go to Window Wonderland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds perfect, actually. Several men, yeah. In terms of what's next for Thursday, you know, the gearing up aspect, the next level of investment, the, the scaling to, to potentially the US, what's on the horizon? We're going to scale into 30 major cities in the US. Um, and that's what this round will be used for. Okay, fine. And how, and is that going to happen as of February, or is that going to be phased over the next twenty-two? It's going to. It'll be phased over. It'll be phased over from February. I, I think realistically, we'd have completed what we want to complete by June twenty-three. Wow. Okay. Um, with that round of funding and with um, with those cities in America, because that would have really cracked the back of America, and then it will be looking onwards to bigger markets. I mean, we're already in Dublin and all over that. It's, it's kind of grown organically anyway, but in terms of hard pushing out there marketing, um, that's the plan. Well, it sounds really exciting. And I had someone comment on our LinkedIn post earlier mentioning that you were coming on. They said, put this in the unicorn bank. So Matt, can I have your word that if you do scale over the next two or three years <laughs> to the level that you want to scale to, can you come back and do an exit interview? <laughs> I, yeah, I will. I'm like, guys, so what car shall I buy? <laughs> Okay, well, what car would it be? Uh, I, uh, without a shadow of that, uh, whatever the latest Aston Martin is, yeah, it has to be. 100%. Yeah, George's would be a lime green uh, Lamborghini because he's a bit more subtle than me. Yeah, no, that's that's a bit boring. I don't I don't like that. No, I know. <laughs> but if I want to help you boys then with getting to that point of exit, getting that Lamborghini, getting that Aston Martin, how can I download the app? How can I find out more about Thursday? And if I want to invest, how can I do that? So the we are www.getthursday.com, which is a website that's about to change over, big rebrand, I think will be done probably hopefully in two weeks. And then the app, if you just search on the app store Thursday Dating, it will appear straight away. Ignore some of the reviews, Google Android users as well, they are very mean. <laughs> <laughs> they are very, very cruel. And the funny thing is all our developers are on you know, they're all Android users and they're like oh my god they're so brutal <laughs> <laughs> that's good though to have that feedback and today is Thursday so get on that app and, uh, and I'm assuming you should recommend that people get dating yeah just be bold be, you know, the, the, the amount of mobile numbers that sort there's no Thursday police to say you can't swap a mobile number and meet them on Friday <laughs> like it, this is the amount of mobile numbers that happen and we are I've literally just run the numbers for our pitch deck we are 55% female on this app 43% male and the rest non-binary, but whatever it is, 2%. Tinder is 78% male. Blimey, there you go. So there we go. I'm going to pass it over to my business partner immediately with the 55% being the, the female ratio there. Matt, thank you ever so much nice. for joining me. No and I was that was great. To see you, mate. Brilliant, thank you. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week. We set ourselves apart because for me personally, I think the word benefits is old hat anyway. And perks makes me just want to like vomit. Like it's just a horrible word. Like looking after my mental health is not a perk. Seeing a therapist shouldn't be seen as a perk. This is about genuinely impactful support that an employer can give to employees. 
Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule, and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. See you next week, 8am on all podcast platforms. Simply subscribe or ask your smart speaker to play Success is in the Mind podcast. This is a Pinpoint Media podcast presented by me, Oliver Bruce, produced by Dan Miller and Fergus Bruce, edited and designed by Harry Fox and Victoria Bramwell, filmed by Madeline Harris, marketed by Ellie Hanwell and Rachel Buchanan-Hughes and managed by Bethan White and Annabelle Norton-Smith. Quite a team. Thanks, guys. If you know anyone you think we should interview, if you want to tell your story or have your say, please reach out to me directly via podcast at pinpoint-media.co.uk. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Cheers, guys. Cheers.